Hey everyone and welcome to another week on the podcast. This is just a quick note, a shout out to everyone in the north of New Zealand with Cyclone Gabriel last week. I'm sure that you're on the mind of a lot of people right now. Lockie and I were also thrown out a little bit. So this week we've got a repeat of a previous episode for you until we get back to some new ones. Hey, and welcome to Product Journeys. I'm Frank Leisner. And I'm Lachlan Robertson. We're both product owners, stumbling our way through our product journey. We're out to meet amazing product people and learn a bit more about their skills and their experience. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined by Ross Stanley. Ross is a general manager of product in the area of accounting practice management at Zero, and ex-global head of product at Vend. He's also a board observer for Javelin.com and an advisor for VidApp.com. Starting his career as a software engineer, Ross has experienced in all aspects of the creation of cloud-based software and loves making the end user a central part of the process of creating delightful digital experiences. All right, so let's jump right in and start off with your background or journey. How have you ended up in the position that you're in at Zero at the moment? Yeah, hi there, Fran. Hello, Lachlan. At the moment, my role as general manager of product at Zero. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey to get there. I started out. I mean, I started, I guess, by going to university and getting an engineering degree, which I think is probably I don't know, maybe in common with a few people who have been on this podcast. I guess back then my thinking was. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I thought I'll just do a degree that's quite technical and difficult and see where it leads me because I could always do other things later. I did love science and maths and things like that. I also love more creative topics, I guess, like English and history um, and, and drama nerd alert. I loved drama and things like that as, as extracurricular activities. Engineering wasn't necessarily the thing I'd always dreamt of doing, but I enjoyed it and I found it really useful. Although the first job I got after university was selling advertising. I loved being in media and seeing seeing where that would lead. My first technical job, though, came around the time that the internet started to become a thing. In the late 90s in New Zealand, it was pretty easy, actually, to get a job in anything technology-related because it all seemed like magic to so many people. I started as a software developer and did that for about eight or nine years, then moved into business analyst, project manager, and then finally discovered, I guess, product management in the mid-2000s. And I was kind of drawn to that because it was really working for a software consultancy, realizing that we were delivering great projects for people and we were doing good things, but we never, we were never really connected to the work after that. We would deliver it and move on. It was project by project. And I felt a real... I guess, a lack of connection to the real customer. Our real customer wasn't the people we were delivering work for. It was the people who were using the software. So I read up about what other roles there were in in technology and product management was becoming a bit of a thing at the time. That's when I started as a product manager at Vend, a cloud-based point of sale for retailers, and have now been acquired by Lightspeed. And that's where I first really learned all about product management. I guess if the question is, how did you get where you are today? It was relatively circuitous. But when I look back, every step that I took taught me something along the way that, that has been useful to this day. So you started in project management. Is there, apart from the customer aspect of product, are there other differences that you've noticed in that? I feel like there's a lot of similarities. 
Yeah. So differences between project management and, and product management. Product management. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in project management, I was, I was essentially delivering services for a client. You weren't delivering a software product for end users. And there was, you know, that, that sounds like a subtle distinction, but there is a big difference there. And especially when you're talking about scale. So when you're delivering services as a project manager, you're delivering most often for one large corporate client, an enterprise client. Whereas when you are building a product, you are, I guess, more often than not delivering for a huge number of end users at scale. In a, in a past life, I was a project manager as well. One of the big differences for project management, a lot of it was like, you've got to deliver on time and, and within budget versus the product side being more about, as you're saying, the outcome for the customer. Is that sort of hold true for you as well? Yeah, totally. That's totally fair. There was an emphasis on the de- on the delivery date rather than the delivery of value. Yeah, for sure. Within the product space, what are some tools that you've developed or you think are really critical as part of succeeding within your role? Yeah, well, I think in in terms of product management in general, there are a few tools and frameworks that I lean on, but it all depends on what it is that you're trying to do, right? So startups may need some advice on prioritization or the direction they should be heading in. If they're really early, it, it can be a really good opportunity to use the Lean Canvas, I think popularized by Ash Maurya in his book, Running Lean. That's that's a really good one. I think even just the act of going through the process of, of writing a canvas is the value in itself. It's not necessarily the thing to share with other people. But it just kind of helps you with your elevator pitch for the company that you are setting up or starting or the initiative that you'd like to set up. And so the opportunity canvas is another thing. And I don't quite know the provenance of the, the opportunity canvas versus the lean canvas. They're all different types of canvases. But if you're looking at kind of a new initiative or a new opportunity or a new product, you might use the opportunity canvas. So I, you know, I love the canvases. I think Strategizer have a value proposition canvas. Again, another canvas that I like with pain relievers and identifying customer pain points and how your product can help relieve the, the pain that they feel every day. If you're looking at annual planning or just or planning... I guess the alignment between the opportunities that you have and how you want to direct your resources. Martin Erickson has something called the decision stack. It's a little bit of a strategy on a page type format where you can align your company goals with what it is that you want to do. And I think any of these tools just really, they help you each layer down, build a connection between the idea that you have and the reason that you exist as a company or as a department and the things that you need to to do to deliver on that. Another one is OKRs and the impact of OKRs can vary wildly. But again, I think it's the process of setting OKRs that can really help galvanize a team. And when you think about what the purpose of an OKR is, to me, it's about focus. It's about alignment. It's about getting everybody behind a common goal or goals. And really, that helps you move down that funnel between the thing that you would really like for your customers and how it is that you're going to deliver it. These are all tools that can that can help you get there. So those are the things that I would take anywhere to any company and and use and reuse again and again depending on what phase you're in. And yep. interesting with the canvases, you say that that's something more for you to work through yourself to get your thinking straight. Or would you ever mm. do a group canvas exercise? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it is great for a group. And it, it speaks to the the strangeness of product management. Like, it's pretty hard to describe what product management is, right? So, yep. um, and, and I think we've all felt... We've all felt a bit strange about it at various points in our careers because what are we doing that other people can't already do, right? Product management is sometimes just understanding the customer and figuring out what the customer needs. Well, there are people who people in every company who know that. Salespeople, customer success teams, representing that value to the customer. Well, you could think, well, marketers do that, product marketers do that. And figuring out what value you want to build, that could be salespeople, that could be strategy people. So it's a bit of a strange mixture. And I think as a product practitioner, 
you probably have to, again, be different people and play a different role depending on the size of the company that you're in. If you're in a really small company, you might be doing all of those things. If you're in a large company, you'll be doing just the core. And when it comes down to it, it could be described as just, I don't know, this sounds terrible, but is it just making a list of things and putting them in the right order and helping people understand what that is and and delivering on them and then starting to explain that to your customers <laughs> and tying it back to the to the problems that they told you that they had in the first place. It all sounds like it's not really a job. And that's why I, don't know, I always have trouble just describing to my parents what I do. Um, that's the barbecue question we, we always ask is like, how do you describe what you do for a living? Yeah, yeah. And so it depends, right? And it depends on what size company you're with. It depends what's required. Some people get into product management because they think it's all about making decisions. And I don't know if it is. It's, for me, it's about bringing together the right people to get the right decisions made. So it's about facilitating. It's about discovering. It's about being curious and helping to put it all together. The glue that brings everything together and also building relationships. Yeah. And I guess to circle back to your question, is it, uh, could this be a group activity? Absolutely. This is part of the how you demonstrate what a product manager does. I think it's a really good opportunity to get that group of, of people together and say, do you know what? Like I am bringing together all this. I'm bringing together all of you and we're going to get all our thoughts down. And it's not something that any one of those people representing revenue or customer success or sales or marketing, any one of those groups are individually set up to achieve. And so this is the role that product management plays. We're all going to get together and we're all going to see what part each other play and we're going to put it all on one page and we're going to have the same idea about the direction that we're heading in. And I think that's how you can also demonstrate the value of product management by getting people together and doing that. Yeah, you can have fun doing it by yourself as well. It depends on what it is that you're working on, how many people that you're working with and whether you need to inspire a larger team or to, you know, they can be a tool to bring people together or to head in the same direction as a team. My my playback of what you're talking through there is, in effect, providing clarity for mm. people. It's sort of cutting through all the noise around what's actually important. Um, and asking those, like, sometimes the canvases force you to ask yourself really blunt questions. Like, how is the customer currently solving this problem? Because you might have this brilliant idea, and then you find out, well, the customer's got a perfectly good way of people already do this thing. So don't worry about it. It's not, it's not a thing. Or who is your customer? So many people have ideas and think, this is brilliant. Let's do it. And it takes someone to say, well, who is your customer? And it's amazing the number of times people haven't thought, people haven't, haven't even thought who that might be. Well, who is the customer? What is the problem they have? What makes you think this thing that you've got will solve that problem? So yeah, really great. These are great tools for asking really obvious questions. And I think that was one of the things I was quite keen to dive further into. You were talking about different, stages perhaps that a company or a business might be in and then obviously you just touched on different customer segments as well my naive playback of a maturing organization is you've got to be deliberate about which customers you're trying to solve for and sort of that obviously changes across time do you have any examples of that or any sort of things you could talk through on that front yeah totally and i have a really good example from vend where i guess throughout the history of vend we had had a lot of success early on by being the retail management system for everybody. Large retail stores with lots of inventory, cafes loved the, the touchscreen technology and the fact that they could just use their iPad to run their store. We appealed to a lot of people, but that's, that's a problem sometimes, isn't it? When your product appeals to a lot of people, because then a lot of people try to use it in ways that it wasn't really designed for. So actually a, like a, a really good exercise we went through at Vend was, and it, it sounds a bit cheesy, but we drew a target and we said, right, who are our absolute best customers what's our customer segment and what are the people outside of that and the other 
colors of the target. And then we said, how many people do we have on our absolute core target market? And we realized that our investments were, were spread far and wide. And we realized we could never be the best cafe point of sale. Well, not that we could never, but it wouldn't be a good idea for us to because it's a different kind of customer with different needs and you would end up having multiple products for all of your target customers. That's what you want to do. That's fine. But you'd have to have a lot of money and a lot of time to to do that properly. So we decided to focus just on those inventory-based retailers that we were best for. And so we wanted to become the best product for those target market retailers. Have you done anything like that at Zero? Yeah, well, at a large company like Zero, you have the luxury of having data analysts and revenue operations people and strategy people who help you with that. So yeah, we've got no end of data telling us who we are perfect for. I work in the in the area of practice management. So we do have a really good idea of the kind of accountant and bookkeeper that we are great for that are right in the center of our target. And that informs most of our decisions, which is great. Yeah, very cool. What is the biggest lesson that you've learned throughout your product journey? So I guess the biggest lesson I don't actually know what I've learned from it. So maybe you can help me understand what I've learned from it. I can tell you about the biggest mistake I made. And I maybe I've just shown that I haven't learned anything. But anyway, let's see. It was Advent. We released a new version of our reporting system. It was Reports V2, I think we probably called it. And it was a completely new reporting system that we'd built from scratch. And it was beautiful. Not only was the data warehousing side of it awesome from a technical point of view, the reports looked amazing. We did what you do and we shared it with a few beta customers and they loved it. They gave us great feedback. Yes, they loved it. And they they gave us really good information as to what we should do next. And so we built, you know, essentially working really closely with our customers, built the best reporting for retail you could imagine. The best breakdowns, worked smoothly, looked beautiful, fast, clean, efficient. It was nice. So then we went live and we replaced the V1 reporting system with the V2 reporting system. And, you know, immediately, pretty much in a company the size that we were at the time, you could literally hear the phones ringing immediately, right? And we thought, oh, this is this is fine. It's changed. We've gone through the change management process. We've told everybody about it. Everybody knew it was happening. Here are some people who have some questions, and that's normal. What we discovered was they were asking, where is my report? And we said, oh, that's, that's fine, because in the new version, you use this report. And they were saying, no, no, this new report doesn't have everything that the old report did. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. Pretty sure that when we tested this with our beta customers, hundreds of beta customers, this didn't come up. And so we found that there were a couple of reports that didn't quite serve the needs of our customers as much as we thought they did. And then we, I guess we discovered the big mistake that we had made. So when we were talking to our new beta customers about these beautiful new reports and they were loving them, what we didn't realize was that they were using those reports, but they were also using the old reports for those things that they still needed, right? So they were still using some of those old reports and are still using some of the attributes from those other reports. And they weren't complaining about it because they had these beautiful new reports that they loved. And we didn't know that they were also um, running the old ones. But yeah, that was the, I guess, the lesson. What is the lesson there that, I mean, you've really got to understand what your customers are doing in order to take them through a change journey, to take them from where they are to where you want them to be. It's not enough to just say, hey, we've done a great thing and it's better. You have to sit down with them and say, show me. Like, here is this cool new thing that you're using and you're loving, but show me how it fits into your day, your week, your month, your year. Be curious and observe everything that that person is doing so that you understand how it is that your product fits in with their lives. And don't turn off the old thing until you're really sure. (laughs) It's a great example. 
this is a long time ago. This is back in the day before incremental rollouts were a thing, right? Nowadays, you release it to 10, 20 to 100 and your custom success team are not overloaded and overwhelmed by feedback because you ramp it up nice and slow. Even then, we should have known better, but we didn't. We just said, this is awesome. It's big bang time. Tested it. Cool. <laughs> Tested We've got it. all the good feedback. We've got great feedback. People love it. It's, um, it reminds me of, have you heard about the fighter planes that I think in World War II, these fighter planes were going out and all of them getting shot down except for this one particular one. And this guy looked at it and said, we're, we're looking at what's wrong with the ones that are going down and not looking at the ones that are actually coming back. So it's almost like looking outside of the data that you've got and actually thinking about the day that you're not collecting, which I feel like in that case is like getting all this good feedback, but actually you're mm. missing the feedback that people aren't saying. What are people not saying? Which is not easy, but <laughs> something good yeah. to remember. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a really that's a really good point. What are you not hearing? What are your customers not telling you that you're assuming? Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a really interesting case of perhaps what questions are you asking when you're basically looking to validate does your new solution work type of thing as opposed to going back to the whole customer journey and understanding what are they actually use your tool for, what are the jobs they're trying to do and make sure you've got those things then ticked off in a way with your new thing. Yeah, I mean, in, in hindsight, it sounds like just complete naivety. It's a little bit like when you're doing user research and you show a, a user something and say, do you like it? Is this good? A seasoned user researcher would shake their head and say, no, that's not the right question to be asking. It's a, It was a little bit like that, but it was a long time ago. Yeah. And as you know, I've learned many lessons from it. I just can't tell you exactly what they are. <laughs> but if you're ever doing a reporting version two of something, you, you might change some things next time. But... <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah, but uh, it, might like, a, it might ring a bell for me. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully one or two. Hopefully not nightmares, but it's all good. I, I think one of the really interesting things, and it's come up a few times chatting to people, is around that topic of user research, and especially for a lot of new product people, perhaps isn't something they're totally familiar with, or, or sort of would know where to start. Both on that question, but also just generally, do you have any tips for newer product people starting their journey? Yeah. So in in terms of user research, if you work for a large company, there'll be user researchers who can do that for you. However that probably shields you from some of the extremely valuable experiences you can get from doing it yourself. I guess when you are looking to start out your journey as a product manager, I would say choose carefully the size of company that you start at because in a way you can choose the benefits and the problems that you get just by choosing the size of the company. If you want to understand more about user research, I would say start at a really small company and do it yourself. Most companies don't have the money to afford a real customer researcher. So it's about being really open in your questioning, being really curious, not going in with an assumption or a solution in mind. And if you do, trying really hard to put it out of your mind. And I, empathy is probably an overused way of describing it, but it's really going into someone's place of work and saying, tell me when you first arrive in the office in the morning, what do you do? And kind of follow them around and say, you know, what do you do next? What do you do next? What do you do at the end of the day? What do you do at the end of the week? What do you do when you get home? Do you open the laptop and keep working? What is the work that you do when you first wake up in the morning and check your phone? And what are you checking in on? It's really those sorts of questions. It's really getting to know people at a human level to understand them and their patterns of behavior that will help inform your understanding of what it is that or how it is that you can help them with their lives. Hashtag more disclaimer, not a user researcher. My user researcher friends are always like, but you can't, you shouldn't be doing it yourself. Get a user researcher to do it. And I'm always like, yeah, but then I don't learn, you know. 
Yeah, and they'll help you with scale though, right? So my example is do that with a person. That's fine. That gives you a data point of one. A skilled user researcher will ask all of the right questions with the appropriate lack of bias at scale and you'll get great results. But if you can't afford that, then you've just got to do it. Diversity, being able to put all those hats on is so helpful. But as you say, it doesn't always happen in such a large company. So any opportunity you get, grab it. There's so many different skills we've talked about. What do you think are the key skills for a product owner, manager? Yeah, so anyone anyone kind of getting into product management, being a product practitioner, I think excellent communication skills are probably number one because you've got to, and it can be quite political, just the, the act of bringing people together in the same room and helping them come to the right decisions or come to decisions that you can all be adequately satisfied with is a feat of communications and facilitation. I think just really wanting to do a good job for your end users. Like some people just really want to sell stuff and make a lot of money. And I think that that is an important aspect of what a product manager has to keep in mind when they're working for a company making product. But you also have to genuinely care about what your users are trying to achieve when they when they come to your product looking for a solution. It's really caring at that human level about about people. And I think, you know, depending on what kind of a product manager you are, like actually being interested in technology is a really good thing um, because that's, let's face it, most of the ways in which we are solving our problems these days. So having a, having a curiosity and a passion for technology is a good thing. Understanding business, like it's, it took me quite a few years to figure out just how companies work. And I think that that's a great set of skills for a, a, an aspiring product manager to have to have an understanding of how businesses are structured how they work what are their common processes because a lot of the work that you will do will be serving the needs of people in business i think caring about i've got a huge list here caring about design like actually having opinions about what works well and what looks it's not just looking good but what feels right for an end user having some opinions about that is is great and being not necessarily organized but really caring about bringing together a team to deliver on a common goal, to align on something, to find things in common. And I think that is a huge part of product management is finding things that people have in common and working together. When you can find an overlap of interests between your self-interest and the people that you're working for, when you find that uh, that overlap, it's beautiful. And I think it's the same way for colleagues. When, you've, when you're working together with a team, finding the things that you have in common that you want to achieve together and, and working in that sweet spot is where success comes. Yeah, and I think, I think having a bit of an interest in data and analytics is a really positive thing these days, especially because we can and we can see the power of how a company can grow using the instant feedback that you can get from things like usage metrics, for example. Did someone use the thing that I made? And what did they do next? And what did they do before? And how might we get them to you know, pay for it? These are all really good things to be interested in. So I'm not sure if I listed skills or just areas that people should be interested in. That's that's perfect. And I, I think being interested is is almost one of the, the big ones as well, right? That you mentioned that curiosity thing there. And I think the other thing a lot of people have talked about is just how across your career is you're never going to nail all of these things, right? It's all about gradually iterating and improving on them. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why product management, I think, is so hard to teach because it isn't necessarily a predefined set of things that you need to be good at. You need to do it to to get it. And that makes it really difficult for people to get into it. So I think that's probably a good reason why the resource that you're creating here exists. Indeed. Last big question before we move on to our rapid fires. In your career today, what's your biggest achievement or accomplishment that you're just really proud of? So, so a 
a product that we made back in the early 2000s, I was working for a software consultancy and we were contracted by the government, by the New Zealand Ministry of Education to build an application that was an assessment tool for teachers to assess the progress of their primary school students. And when my kids were started out at primary school, I saw some of the reports being produced. So this is probably 20 years later. I saw the same reports that I'd written 20 years before getting shared with the with the That's teachers so cool and they were like you know the design back back then we didn't have designers we had java developers who laid things out on a screen and you could tell but most of the value of the work was actually in the research the hardcore educational research that went into devising the right questions to ask students so that they could be appropriately assessed it is pretty amazing to see work that you've done stand the test of time that is yeah. goals amazing also after 20 years that it's still there and and working hasn't changed that much i think it's so cool as well having the experience in government as well as private sector get involved with something that maybe doesn't have as many benefits or resources or i don't know whether that's true or not but i think there's something to be said for having those constraints so i talked earlier on about choosing carefully so an, an aspiring product manager should choose carefully the problems they want to have so if you started a small company you will choose to be working at a company that is by its very nature resource constrained you won't be able to get people to do all of the things that you want to do but actually that can be a good thing because no product should have all of the things that everybody asks for and all the bright ideas that everybody has that kind of a constraint can be super valuable it can help you in your career to to make great decisions because it's important it matters when you're working at a company that's that's a bit smaller and a bit more constrained but in all sorts of resource constrained environments it forces you to be creative about how you solve problems and i think that that from from that can come extraordinary results yeah, awesome. Okay, it's having too much fun. Too interesting. We better move on to the rapid fire questions as we're running out of time. Have you got a book or an article that you would recommend? Sure. So my favorite is The Phoenix Project by Gene Kim and some others. That is really all about software development. It's about the delivery of software in small iterations. And I think that really fits with my love of running lean and the lean startup books. It's all about small batches, small teams, tight deliveries, and learning a lot from what you do. And I talked about resource constrained environments. That can be a good thing and it can work to, to your advantage. Perfect. I haven't read that one, so I might check it out. Yeah, totally. uh, podcast or show or just any form of other media that you can share? You know, I haven't really been interested apart from this one, obviously. I haven't found many product management podcasts that I enjoy. Something I am enjoying in podcasts is one called Make Me Smart. I feel like it keeps me up to date with tech and finance and um, things that are things that are happening in the zeitgeist. That's the one I'm listening to at the moment. But I listen to mostly mostly history podcasts, actually. My go-to is This Is History. A couple of couple of British guys who do a really good job of of summarizing some potentially arcane periods of history and bring it to life. I think history podcast is one of the biggest genres that I've noticed, at least when I'm searching through Spotify. It's a lot of them out there. That's why I'm not listening to any product management podcasts. <laughs> Very true. Too many great history ones to get through. Yeah, there's not a huge number of product ones. So yeah, maybe we need to get that moving a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> growing that what are you most grateful for ross i think having kids having a couple of having a couple of happy kids who you can i don't know there's something pretty amazing about seeing the world again through the eyes of of children and i guess appreciating it all over again yeah that's something i'm most grateful for awesome last question do you have any 
calls to action or key takeaways that you'd like people to reflect on? Yeah, I think something that we something we didn't cover that I'm always trying to push whenever I'm making product decisions or helping out in any way with anybody else's decision making is to make sure that the thing that you're doing isn't solving your problem. Make sure that you're solving a customer's problem. Make sure you're doing this for somebody else, not for you. And like I've said before, it's amazing when your goals overlap. That's great. But you know, don't pretend that the thing you're doing is for somebody else when it's really not, if it's for your own purposes. So I always like to look at it through the eyes of the customer. We should always be looking at it through their eyes, through those fresh eyes to see how it is that we could be giving them an amazing experience. That's awesome. I don't think we've talked about that before. <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much, Ross, for joining us. It's been a really enjoyable, long conversation. It's a wrap. Anything cool. Thanks, else? Brandon. Thanks for, thanks for having me.